want to start out today by welcoming you to Planet Product Owner. This is Scott, your uh, host, I guess, or coach or whatever you want to call it. Really, I'm just a guy that is trying to share some stories and share some experiences for product owners everywhere. Uh, from the newbies, uh, folks maybe even considering to get into it. Uh, for those who have been working in it for a little while and you just need to be reminded maybe, of, uh, maybe you're stuck somewhere, I don't know. Um, I wanted to start today and there's going to be a lot of content in today's episode, by the way. So I'm going to go ahead and give you um, give you fair warning on that. So you may have to pause on your commute and uh, break it up into segments or whatever. But just want to prepare you. Um, just some more information here about a pretty good topic. So I'm going to start with a little story. <laughs> I love telling stories, by the way. People who know me know that I love telling stories. So the tester on the team one time, the team I was on, rolls her chair over to me and starts asking me questions about how a workflow should work in a particular step for this profile type if the precondition is... And I very politely interrupted her and said, hey, look, hold on just a minute. Hold that thought. So I reach over just under my monitor on my right-hand side, and I know this because this is where it always is, and I pull out a sticky note that I keep at my desk, and I keep it on the right-hand side under my monitor, and it's one of those big stickies. It's not it's not one of these little bitty ones. Um, those of you who already know me, um, you, you probably already know what I'm going to say. Um, I place this sticky note on my forehead. I call this my three-year-old sticker. Um, on the sticky note itself, it reads, three-year-old, literally. Like, those are the only words on this sticker, and it's in big print. It's very clear. I use this because uh, I want everybody to remember, treat, you know, talk to me like I'm three years old. I do this because I don't want everybody to act so polished and holier than thou on this team. I really want to have open dialogue and fun at work. I don't want to miss the point of their questions. I want to make sure they're 100% comfortable with coming to me with any question, too, because it's really my job to answer those questions, right, or at least to have the collaboration going. I've said this over and over again, and here's one of those infamous one-liners to the listeners for friends who are listening uh, online right now. Um, And many of my friends are waiting for it. There are no stupid questions, only stupid people who refuse to ask questions. So uh, this one simple trick, this three-year-old sticker, has done miracles for me when it comes to being approachable, getting a laugh out of things when we got six stories that really need to be banged out by the close of business today and when the heat and the pressure is on. With that said, I think it's important to remember that we can make things so complicated for ourselves in this journey of being a product owner or being on the Agile team. I want to share today the simplicity of Scrum, some of the fundamental purposes and outcomes that we may just be overlooking every day on our teams. So I have the three-year-old sticker on my forehead today. Grab your three-year-old sticker, buckle up. You know, we sure spend a lot of time on things that should be adding value to our process, program, tools, and all that stuff. I'm a big believer in improvements and identifying strengths and weaknesses that could help us get to where we want to be. I just want to remind you about a couple of things. I learned something a long time ago that resonates still today. So I don't don't want you to write this down if if you're driving, but it might be something just worthwhile to keep in mind. The process 
should improve the product. The process shouldn't be the product. I think there are three primary purposes and outcomes that Scrum is intended to drive and promote. I want to talk about these uh, today a little bit and dive into them a little bit, maybe give some tips along the way on how we can uh, help uh, get our focus back on that as a product owner. Let's talk about the first of these three, which is iterative development. So we show cards, we put stickers up, we move stickers across a board or across an electronic media like Jira or something like that, some tool. And we use these expressions and these analogies like, I want the slice of cake, I don't want the sugar, I don't want the salt, I don't want, I just want the slice of cake. Like, we're going to eat an elephant one bite at a time. Uh, fail or, you know, learn quickly. Fail fast, learn quickly. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about incremental iterative and how each of those uh, both fit into, act, uh, into Agile, but... Um, the point I'm trying to make today is real simple about one of these first purposes here. Iterative development is a method by which we plan, do, check, and adjust to what we learn. What are we adjusting to? We're adjusting to what we learn. So we can start that cycle all over again. The word adjust here needs to carry the same meaning as act. Um, I don't care what they say. Some say, you know, plan, do, check, adjust, or plan, do, check, act. Um... I would say this, that adjusting without acting is kind of like a dream, not a goal. And I think we all know the difference between those. Um, just a little sidebar for color. I know we've talked about lots of things on this show, and we'll continue to dive into those because, like I said, a product owner wears a lot of hats, and I absolutely love to share the the little pro tips or the nuggets and the stuff that's worked for me, has not worked for me, worked for other teams that I've seen that I pick up along the way and things that haven't worked for other teams as we continue on this journey together um there'll be more of that like the psyche of the developer and how to better handle stakeholders and having good retros and things like that but sometimes i'll just be honest we just start majoring on the minors and we begin to worry more so much about the process that we take our eyes off of the prize um so i want to summarize i want to summarize this this segment and, and I want to remind you, product owner, your team's overall goal in this is to, wait for it, deliver working software. That's it. Your team's overall goal in this is to deliver working software. So many times, it just gets lost. And we push to push. We promote to promote. We release to release. We demo to demo. We meet to meet. We eat to eat. And it goes on and on and on. Working software is a result uh, that your team should be driving to reach, period. So think about those things that you can, you and the team um, are just so busy working out in your retros, in your daily stand-ups, and what I call happy talk. By the way, that's the time after the stand-up. We just always call it happy talk. I like the word. Happy talk makes me happy. Happy talk is happy times, and happy times are fun. So anyway... Are the things that you're working on to improve the product or the production of delivering working software? Or are they improving the way the business perceives your daily activities for some report? Well, we've got to get that TPS report out. Um, I know, I know. Sorry, guys. I'm the only person in 15 years who's worked in some process modification just to improve management reporting. Look, I'm not saying that it's not important to tweak the kinds of reporting that you're sending up the chain. I'm not saying that it's not important at all. Um, 
What I'm saying, though, is that you're a product owner who should have a focus, your centralized focus. Put that focus where it should be, especially if you want to do this for a long time and be good at it. You want to put your focus where it should be. So while I'm trying to get back to this first fundamental purpose or outcome that Scrum promotes, iterative delivery, remember we're testing feedback. We're not waiting on something to be perfect. We want it usable, complete, and stable so we can validate that we're not off the reservation somewhere banging out code that we shouldn't even be writing yet. Iterative. Plan, do, check, and act. That's really what we're up against here. So how do you do that? Well, first, your stories play an important role in this, but your planning is most important. You, you, you're not going to start just writing out your stories unless you have some kind of plan. A little later in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the things that I do to help me with the iterative approach with planning and with the stories as well. But first, let's look at the second purpose or outcome that Scrum promotes in this next segment. So today, again, we're talking about fundamental uh, outcomes and purposes that Scrum promotes. Let's look at the second thing that I think is really important, self-organizing teams. Now, we talked about this a little bit in another episode. Uh, when you have teams that are self-organized, the team members all feel part of the solution and take ownership in the wins of losses. Um, and if I haven't had that one yet, I'll have that one about sharing in the wins and the losses. But one thing that we as product owners sometimes can't control is the team makeup. It's like, duh, thank you, Captain Obvious. We know that. It's not like we have a draft every year and get to pick up the blue chip or the all-star, right? Sometimes we don't even get to keep our team together because management decides that there are other things that, uh, that are taking priority. Again, guys, I'm keeping it real. This is practical, right? Practical stuff for folks who are going to get out there in the field and the role of a product owner in the organization or with some new gift or whatever uh, gig or whatever it is. Um, I've even worked in organizations where the team members were not even committed or fully allocated to the team. Well, duh. No wonder we expected delivery in October, and that's what I was anticipating based on the route and the charts that we had. Um, but we ended up not getting it until late November. Well, I had no idea that they were working on other projects until I, <laughs> until I lured the newbie chair guy into the conversation over lunch. So why are self-organizing teams are so important to Scrum? And now a reading from the Scrum Guide. Self-organizing teams choose how best to accomplish their work rather than being directed by others outside the team. Development teams are structured and empowered by the organization to organize and manage their own work. Put simply, the, some of the benefits of self-organization are one, team buy-in and shared ownership, two, motivation, which leads to an enhanced performance level of the team, and three, innovation and crea- uh, creation or creative environment that's conducive to growth. That's why self-organization is so important. So as a product owner and as a scrum master, you have to be on the same page to help defend the team from the organizational scavenging that goes on. Now, I'm not saying... I mean, that's a whole lot easier said than done, right? Because we know how that ta- that happens, and it's happened to all of us. Uh, so there, I said it. So, all right, Scott, what do we do about that? Well, remember, we talked about some of the tools and some of the reports, like burn-down charts, velocity, delivery, stuff like that, right? Well, all of those things are important, not only to monitor for your team health, 
not only to track to see what you can do, but I think it's really important to socialize that as well. Kicking the workout and getting these things promoted and socialized should defend your team from being split up, but we all know sometimes that's not always the way that it works out. I don't think it's important necessarily to focus on that, though, as being the product owner. I mean, as long as you're doing your part on selling your team, sell your team, make your work visible, and produce working software, you've really done all you can do. There are going to be times where you're faced with those breakups or team splits. But let's go ahead and acknowledge that and, and, and understand that that threat already exists. Just try to make the best of it while we can. Um, a lot of people who know me talk about keeping my front porch clean. You know, we'll, we'll dive into that one in another episode maybe, but this is kind of what I'm saying. You know, sell your team, make your work visible, produce working software. If, if you do all of that, you've done all that you can do. And those are things that you can control within reason. I'm not saying all of those things are controllable by you, product owner. Um, but I'm saying the vast majority of that stuff, it really is. Uh, particularly if you're going towards that cross-functional team, you're moving those folks in that direction like we've talked about. Now, uh, I would say this, that one thing the product owner can, flu- can influence as well, and again, I'm just, these are thinking patterns. I don't... I'm not saying that you have to take any of these recommendations or suggestions. In fact, I'm not even sure that there's anything necessarily concrete that you can pull away from these. Maybe it is. Maybe you're, maybe you're picking up what I'm laying down. But I want to say this, that you figure out your best approach in some of these thinking patterns based on your personality, based on your skill set, based on your relationship with your team and in the organization that you're in. Um, the product owner can sometimes have zero influence on the decisions of the team makeup. But once you get your team, now you have a different set of uh, choices that you can control, right? One of those is, look, there's there's no excuse for not keeping your front porch clean. There's really not. There's no excuse for not keeping your front porch clean. You've got to be ahead of the objections. You got to be ahead of the things that are going to come in here and say, give management a reason to split your team up. They'll split them up. Give management a reason to do that. You don't want to be the reason why they split you up. Does that make sense? So you don't want to be the reason why they split you up. So there's no excuse for not keeping your front porch clean. You may know the enemies out there. You may know what it looks like and feels like. You may know that there's scavengers out there and, and other managers who want to take your folks from the team or split them up for whatever other reason. But don't let it be because you had a dirty front porch. Um, I think it's really important to, to, to realize that it's, excuse me, it's hard to accept sometimes, um, that they split up the teams, but they don't pay us to make those calls, right? They pay us to prioritize, keep the backlog, define the what, answer questions, defend the customer, run the business. So if you're going to focus on things you can't control while you're a product owner, you're really not going to be happy. You're going to become really ineffective because your front porch is going to get dirty. So I would just recommend that you focus on the things that you can control. Allow yourself to grow and develop in this role. Allow yourself to focus on those things that are within your realm, within your control, as it relates to that team, and focus on their professional and their personal growth like we've talked about. And uh, make sure that we're challenging this team to get what they can get done done. 
we'll talk about pushing them a little bit later, maybe not in this episode. But uh, that pretty much covers this uh, second fundamental uh, outcome or purpose that Scrum promotes, and that's self-organizing teams. We're going to look at another another element, the third element of, of those fundamental outcomes and purposes that Scrum promotes in the next segment. Let's talk about the third fundamental purpose I believe that Scrum promotes is delivering a shippable product. Now, product owner, this is a big one. And I promise is that as we build, continue to build content in these episodes, um, and as we journey together, uh, I'll continue to build on some of these concepts I'm sharing. But, but first, we got to get some fundamentals out of the way. And I think that's why it's important that I shared this message today, because we can so easily lose focus on what it is that we have to do. There are just so many different hats that we wear, so many different distractions, so many different inputs. Um, I've known product owners before who were managing three different sponsors at one time, three separate budgets at one time. That's three separate goals, three separate agendas. That's three separate mindsets. That's competing for priority and all of that. Um, but but it was handled pretty effectively by this product owner because he, uh, he, he really knew what he was doing and he knew what they were each after and was trying to complement their goals all at the same time. Um, that's not something for a new product owner to handle, okay? Um, I would tell you that there are lots of approaches that we can use to deliver the shippable product, but before I go down a rabbit hole about all of these approaches, let's circle back to what this really means. When your product is shippable, it means we could potentially release it. It doesn't mean we're going to production. So you guys remember when I said um, in one of those previous episodes about, well, when are we going to production? You know, because somebody's always going to ask that. I mean, somebody is always going to ask that, all right? That's not your job, right? You're, <laughs> that's not for you to make that call. You're, you, it's, it's on the product owner to make the call that it goes to production after it is potentially shippable. Your end game there is to get it potentially shippable so that you can figure out a way to get it out there, get it tested, bring the feedback back to the team, and get it done up, uh, get it marked up the second time or whatever it takes, okay? I would say this, though, that story writing is the critical path to delivering a shippable product. Story writing is really critical to that. That's the what, remember? Negotiation is part of it, of course, with the business. That's another episode. But today, I want to focus on a couple of things that have helped me with these kinds of features. And remember, you're defining the what, which is the problem or the opportunity. The team will solve the problem you present. They've got the how. So let's get to that shippable product, shall we? The first part that I want to, that I want to see here, I want your stories to be small. And no, I don't want to go into how many product owners and organizations have abused the word small in the invest model. We're going to save that one for another day. But I put heavy emphasis on an end state that would add some value and is usable. Remember, I don't want the dancing blue snowflake that clicks three times when you, uh, or that spins three times when you click on it. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for usable, valuable code that has some pretty good quality to it. Not every, not every line, maybe not everything that you wanted, but, um, it's within. It's still within the same marketing measure. Still within our identity. It's still all of those things. But uh, it, the 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 thing we're looking at here is getting the value out, getting it all, getting the value off the shelf and into the hands of the user, so you can determine what's next. I do have to sometimes string stories together to make the whole. 
And you're going to run into that, by the way. You're not going to have three or four stories out there on your team that are small enough um, to produce the entire feature that you're going to want to produce. And sometimes you're not going to be able to produce the entire feature in a given sprint. All right? That's just, sometimes it just doesn't work that way. It depends a lot on what you're working on. There's sometimes just no way around that. But think about it this way. And this is kind of what I do. I prioritize stories relative to the unfolding customer journey or customer experience. Whatever that would dictate in the most effective way, that's how I prioritize my stories. So stringing these stories together to make the whole, which is really defined as usable or working, is the thing you have to look out for. Because at the end of the sprint or at the end of the PI, uh, you got to be able to show your valuable, usable work that's potentially shippable so that you can make the call on whether or not you're going to release that. Now, oftentimes we get into the project mindset, and everybody's had this project manager, right, partner. Um, you know, and that could be the project mindset not only from uh, from like a project, uh, uh, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill project manager, but it could also come from some of your requirement submitters or requirements owners or business partners, um, and sometimes we get into these things where we often have more of an incremental release plan that has to take place. I get that. But try to figure out what the user would see, feel, touch, hear in a potentially shippable release and then work backwards through your stories. So the idea here I'm trying to communicate to you is plug these stories into the triangle. You know, remember, respect the triangle, kids. You know, try to plug those into the triangle as appropriate. Brainstorm your options for each of the requirements or steps. All right. So once you look at the options that you have to satisfy those requirements or steps in these stories, select the ones that are the cheapest, quickest, dirtiest to use <laughs> that add value. I mean, I really don't know how else to explain that to you. Remember, we're still in hypothesis mode. So by going through and looking at the stories that might fulfill this thing, um, and get you to the end, get you to the promised land or whatever you want to call it. Review all of those and have a look at them in your protected elaboration time that we've talked about. And uh, pick the ones that are the cheapest to do. You know, sometimes the cheapest one is the way to go. You know, I've, I've, I've seen this before where, you know, a business partner wants us to do, wants some other cross-functional team to do some deep dive into the analytics of which market segment we're going to show this button to and which page we're going to land it on. Do we have to have that day one? Or can we just simply put the link out there and see who bites on it? I mean, I've said that before, but I hope that's making a little bit more sense now in the way that I'm saying it. That would be my first level story to get that dude out there to production and just see how it goes. Now, if we find out through the customer journey and through some of the analytics behind the page and some of the feedback there that we're maybe not hitting the segment that we want, then let's go spend $84,000 million or whatever dollars it is to go and do that deep dive research. But we don't need to do that up front. Now, I'm not saying you don't ever have to have analytics behind what you're doing. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying is that you can't prove to me today that we're going to make a million dollars off of this thing and it's worth the investment of 80 grand to go and deep dive into the analytics first on day one. You just can't tell me that today. So let's get it out there. Hypothesis mode. And, uh, and let's trim this thing down to where we've got a cheap option that still adds value to satisfy that requirement. The second part of the story attribute, so the first one is small. We talked about that. 
But the second part of the story attribute to focus on is negotiable. And, you know, people often confuse negotiable, too, when they're looking at the invest model. And if you don't know the invest model, go out and look it up. It's a great model to follow. I want you to get some I want you to get four or five different websites worth of definitions on what each of those terms mean. And then I want you to reflect on that on your stories and see how they look. Let's see how they fit into that. Now, again, I'm not telling you exactly what to do. There's a lot of art in this, and that's what I'm trying to cover with you guys in this podcast. I'm trying to cover the art with you because there's plenty of science out there. tells you all that stuff. I'm talking about practically making the invest model fit to your stories relative to your writing style, rather uh, relative to your domain, to your user group, all of those things, you know negotiable what we're talking about here is that it means that we're flexible enough that we don't destroy the whole repository if we promote it scale it minimize it whatever if we plug it in it's not going to kill everything negotiable means if we make this small change it's not going to impact the entire release it's like it blends in and it doesn't just kill everything off right so i've shared this technique before and i'm going to share it with you today aren't you so lucky but the problem is, it's only with audio, so this might be a little hard to describe. God, I wish I had a whiteboard. Um, so, okay, bring it on, Scott. I'm on the edge of my seat. So, here's what I want to do. And this works for me. And again, works for me, might not work for you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if this explains it. Start with a sketch of a job aid for the end product that you have in mind for this feature. It's strange, right? But think about it. We are testing as we go, or we should be testing as we go we should be validating our work we should be proving that our acceptance criteria or our conditions of satisfaction are met we should know enough about this story through elaboration and through teamwork that we got a pretty clear understanding of what we have going on so why is it that we can't just start with a good finish start with a good finish man put this thing put sketch this thing out i'm talking i'm talking crayons man if you need to you know literally draw it out now um Depending on the size of the thing, these crayons work great, or a whiteboard works good, or a legal pad works good, or whatever. I can tell you this. I worked on a team one time, and uh, I won't name any names or anything, but me and two other guys sat around a table with a legal pad with like three pages, and we designed an enterprise system right around the table with that. And, I mean, we had colored pencils and a couple of pencil. uh, We had pencils, pens, and a couple of colored pencils. Oh, and we had it all figured out. From there, respect your personal backlog refinement and elaboration time that I hope you have already added to your calendars as recommended in a previous episode. But by starting with a job aid in mind, you look for those sharp contrasts in work effort. What do I mean? You as a product owner, you should know how much level of effort it's going to take, okay, to get this thing on the page or this widget plugged into the box or this workflow to be presented or whatever it is okay you should know that so stop playing like you don't all right you should understand something about the level of effort i'm not saying you're going to size it the way the team does i'm not saying you're going to estimate it for them i'm saying you should have some clue all right um so you look at you look at this thing in a way that says all right this is going to be a really huge effort. And I don't think we're going to be able to commit to do this whole big bang thing. Then you start kind of looking at ways, going back to the previous thing, um, you start looking at the uh at the one at, at, at some options maybe that are 
that are uh, less desirable but still meet the goal, right? It still adds value. It still has value. And so what you're really trying to do here is you're trying to look at sharp contrast and work effort spent versus value attained. Now, you may not have all the information. I get it. But your best guess is the best guess, and it's better than anybody else's guess because you're the product owner. <laughs> you're the one setting the vision for the thing, okay? The ones that have the high value but low work effort, they obviously get to the top of the triangle. I mean, that just makes sense, right? You got a high value and a low work effort, and it's right in line and coincides with meeting your requirement. Get that to the top of the triangle, okay? I personally, um, let's see here. Um, the ones that have the large work effort and high value, so in other words, it's a, it's a lot of work to do it, but it's a high value. I look at those as nominees for a split. So really what I'm talking about here is in your mind, and you don't have to do it on paper, but you can do it in your mind or you can do it in paper. You can do it in your uh, product backlog while you're working, and these will be towards the middle of the row, I guess, middle of the stack until you get them refined. But the idea here is that I'll put a field like a column header up there for uh, you know estimate or level of effort, LOE, whatever, and then value. You know, while I'm trying to refine and elaborate this backlog of mine that's not necessarily stored in JIRA, it's really on my local computer or my shared drive or my Gmail, whatever it is, where I keep the spreadsheet and I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, level of effort versus value. So if you get a large work effort spent and a high value, those are the ones that I look for to split. Does that make sense? So I'm referring... What I'm referring to here is previous comments about options we've had um, that add value without a lot of effort to test our theory. And so you want to look for those high scores on your uh, effort uh, level of effort and a high score on a value and look and see if you can split those. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. If you can't split it, it is what it is, cuz. Gotta go, bro. But if you can split it, I would recommend looking at those as your ones to split. If you got a high value and a low work uh, a low uh, level of uh, level of effort, <laughs> excuse me, um, you probably don't have to split that. You're probably targeting that one just right. You probably got that one sized right. See, many times as product owners, we start with the BRD or the FDD or the SEC or the PAC-10 or the Big 12 or the Big 10 or whatever it is the acronym of the day is from all those different methodologies. I personally would rather start, and again, me. I'd rather start with a sketch of the user experience that meets the overall goal. Then I start trimming the fat. That's where I'm starting to get more lean. I don't want to spend all my time on diving into this thing. It's going to be a huge work effort and minimal value. If I can, uh, if, if I can uh, visualize the job aid, not that we really use a job aid anymore, but just imagine if you were training your granddad how to use this, all right, or your great-grandma or whatever, or your mom or your dad, whatever. Uh, maybe even uh, maybe even training somebody who's never seen it before. Start there. Start with that job aid. Work with that. So now you've got a sketch of the thing. You've got a job aid there. Um, and you've got to kind of visualize that, maybe even written it out physically, you know, which is great. I start there and first, and then I work through my stories kind of that way, kind of backwards, you know. So I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, it's worth a try if you haven't considered it. Uh, you know, what can it hurt, right? So today we've talked about 
three fundamental concepts and purposes, I guess, outcomes that Scrum promotes. Um, now I think it's time to land this plane. Um, I think that process is important, but it should be in place to make the product better. Process simply can't be the product. If we keep our eyes on the prize and what our goals are and drive toward those, we can fend off some of the suits and whatever else we call them and keep them off of our backs, right? We can only do so much. It's, you know, if it's out of our control, let it go. Leverage the relationship you have with your Scrum Master product owner. If you just aren't getting the productivity that you need, um, a lot of times I've seen product owners just allowing teams to float on their cloud or pick and choose excuses as to why they didn't deliver working software. Don't be that product owner. It's just not becoming. It's not nice. It's not friendly. It's not good. You're more than that. You're a product owner. Demand it. Remember what that goal is, deliver working software. Often we get into situations where the pressure to report on things that are so much, um, so much, not so much relative to the final product or the deliverable that we tend to lose our focus. Rather than spending your energy there, focus on what you have to do to ensure that that team is self-organizing. Make sure you're focusing that they're doing iterative work, that they're delivering potentially shippable products within your sprints. That's really all you can do. But really, that's all you have to do, right? If you find yourself banging your head against a wall to solve something with a process, stop and think about the fundamental purposes that Scrum promotes and ask yourself how to improve these three things that we talked about today. You're going to have better luck solving your problems by just focusing on those than you will with some new process map or some new shiny buzzword. Hey, thanks for the ride today, Planet Product Owner. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have. Until next time. Thank <music> you.